What's wrong? Elevator up? I think I just broke up with Mark. Oh. Really? I think so. So go home. Nope. I'm ready to work. You win, again. You could have just told me it was your birthday. Right, and there'd be no repercussions. So now this is my fault? Well, it's not my fault. You don't have a family or friends or anywhere else to go. Go. Go run to him, like in the movies. You don't have to be here. I do have to be here because of some stupid idea from Danny, who you had to hire because you stole his other stupid idea because you were drunk. Don't get personal because you didn't do your work. And by the way, I know it kills you, but guess what? There is no Danny's idea. Everything that comes in here belongs to the agency. You mean you? As long as you still work here. Is that a threat? Because I've already taken somebody up on one of those tonight. Relax. You know what? Here's a blank piece of paper. Why don't you turn that into glow coat? Are you out of your mind? You gave me 20 ideas, and I picked out one of them that was a colonel that became that commercial. So you remember? I do. It was something about a cowboy. Congratulations. No, it was something about a kid locked in a closet because his mother was making him wait for the floor to dry, which is basically the whole commercial. It's a colonel. Which you changed just enough so that it was yours. I changed it into a commercial. What, are we going to shoot him in the dark in the closet? That's the way it works. There are no credits on commercials. But you got the Clio. It's your job. I give you money, you give me ideas. And you never say thank you. That's what the money is for. You're young, you will get your recognition. And honestly, it is absolutely ridiculous to be two years into your career and counting your ideas. Everything to you is an opportunity. And you should be thanking me every morning when you wake up, along with Jesus, for giving you another day. Oh, come on. I'm sorry about your boyfriend, okay? God, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello everyone and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 219, Mad Men Season 4, Episode 7, The Suitcase. So we're returning to the advertising world, Sterling Cooper, Draper Price this time. Well, I don't know what it was last time. It was uh, Sterling Cooper and Partners last time. Was it? Yeah. In season six, that's what it becomes. Yes, April 26th, 2016, episode number 18. So over 200 episodes ago. Oh, yeah. We discussed wow. Bad Men. It was almost the end of the podcast right then and there. Because <laughs> I picked that episode. That might have been the first Matt pick. There was more to it than that, but yeah. <laughs> a lot of drama going on behind the scenes in the early days of the podcast. Oh, sure, as always. <laughs> yeah, as if there isn't now. And now we return to it, finally, and it's so easy to slip back into the 1960s. What a time. 
Absolutely. I'm going to put you on the spot already. What year is season one? Does it start like in the late 50s or something? Uh, or no? Yeah, I don't know. I was thinking it starts like it's already in the 60s, like 60 or 61. But isn't this 65 in season four? Yeah, but I thought they skipped years sometimes. They do jump years at times. So maybe it could be like 59 at the beginning. Okay. Not important right now. We're going to be talking about one of the most revered episodes of Mad Men, considered one of the best. That's right. And when I think about the uh, finale of Mad Men, I think this is one of the episodes that always made me feel a little bit disappointed that the show doesn't end with more of the Don-Peggy dynamic. Just because, you know, there was so much to that relationship and showcased no more than in this episode. So before we jump into all that, let's remind our listeners, our loyal listeners, to follow the show on Twitter at GreatestPod. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podbean. Give us a rating and review on there if you get a chance. We appreciate it. Yeah, saw a good one recently. Fun stuff on there. Follow us on Letterboxd. Zach1983, Matt Crosby. It's a social media app to log the movies you watch, give them reviews, ratings, etc. Yeah. A lot of fun. See what other people are watching. A lot of good activity on there, I'd say. Comments, likes, everything you want. That's right. If you want a sticker, you can reach out to us via Twitter. A little quiet on that front, but I've got the stock ready to dish them out. I will say, uh, I, I I don't know. Just thinking about that recent positive review, basically saying F off to the rewatchables. I mean, that's right. <laughs> We're like the Ted Shaw to the rewatchables. We're you not. Know? <laughs> not even close. <laughs> <laughs> We're not even as lame as Ted Shaw. No. <laughs> We're basically like a homeless clown. <laughs> <laughs> a homeless ass clown, if you will. Yeah. I think that about covers it for the weekly housekeeping. I don't see any reason why we shouldn't just jump right in. So I realized that it was probably time to return to Mad Men. It had been a while. We've been circling back with some of the television shows that we covered in the early days. We did The X-Files, Sopranos, Game of Thrones, a couple things twice. Might as well do Mad Men, one of our favorite shows again. That's right. And I left it up to you to pick the episode, and you selected this one from season four. Yeah, it's just such a heavily analyzed episode, I feel like. It's one of the more often referenced episodes post the run, while it was on. I think both John Hamm and Elizabeth Moss cite this as one of their favorite episodes. I mean, they're featured prominently in it, of course. I mean, it's very limited screen time for any of the side characters. Yeah, definitely focused on Peggy and Dawn. This episode aired originally September 5th, 2010, which is over a decade ago, which is completely insane. I can remember watching it live. I just remember watching the season week to week live. This is one of the last shows that I did watch week to week, which feels like a fossil from another time already, like watching shows week to week on TV. Yeah. We just don't live in that world anymore. This episode has earned an insanely high 9.7 on IMDb, which is really crazy. Yes, it is well-liked. The episode was directed by Jennifer Getzinger. It was written by show creator Matthew Weiner. I think a couple people were staff writers, Brett Johnson, Aaron Levy. I don't know how much they contributed to this episode in particular. Who knows? 
As I said, this is our second go-round with Mad Men. We'll see how it goes. What are your overall thoughts on the series, returning yeah. to the series over the past few years since it's I, been I, off the I air? I love Mad Men. It is one of two shows that I can always kind of slide back into, or at least over like the last five years of my life. Something that I'm kind of always wanting to revisit. It's this in Twin Peaks. I know people don't want to hear us talk about like Twin Peaks ever again, but <laughs> I'm always kind of ready to dive back in with Mad Men too. I mean, like at any time, I could do this again. Well, I'll you know who's a big fan of Mad Men is David Lynch himself. Oh, good. And he met. I didn't know that actually. Elizabeth Moss and John Hamm, I think in like France or England or somewhere in Europe, and had dinner with them and only would refer to them as Peggy and Don. <laughs> and then I think I think this was Elizabeth Moss telling this story and then he emailed her later, addressed her as Peggy, and then at the end of the email said, give Don my love. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. A completely David Lynch story. That's of right. Course. Well, I'm sure he loves it. I mean, just nonstop cigarette smoking. <laughs> He's probably like, these are the coolest people ever. I well, mean, he definitely fetishizes this era as well absolutely. in some respects. It's aesthetically pleasing, certainly well-written. The drama is palpable. The acting is great. It's way funnier than I think people ever really credit it for being. Roger Sterling, one of the great yeah. comedic characters of all time. Yeah, Roger has a great line in virtually every That's episode, right. at yeah. least one. I think it's an interesting show to revisit because it's so different from a lot of other very successful shows, shows that were much more popular than Mad Men, like Breaking Bad, like Game of Thrones, even The Sopranos, which I think I like The Sopranos more in some respects, but it's much different even from that, although Sopranos sort of walks the line between the two worlds. For sure. It's such a different style. The plot is almost secondary a lot of the time to the oeuvre, if you will. The mood, the atmosphere. Definitely an atmosphere show. The depth to the character is such a big part of it. The scenes are not necessarily traditional TV scenes. There's not always a lot of dialogue that pushes the story forward. It's more about picking up on clues as right. to what the mood is. Yeah, they're like weaving clues into just normal hangout at work sessions. Yeah, and I'm not acting like it's some big mystery or that you have to be a genius or anything. It's just more that, I guess the right word would be subtle. For sure. Whereas a show like Breaking Bad or even Game of Thrones or something is so plot-based, there's a lot of cliffhangers. It's like, what will happen next? Twists, turns. Mad Men is at a completely different pace, and it is willing to take its time, settle in, wash over you more. Yeah, that's right. And the plot definitely has things happen, but again, the pace is very slow. The payoffs might take seasons. And the show definitely came at a time where we were at our peak or kind of, I guess, in between The Sopranos and The Wire, and and then like we're heading into Game of Thrones. These shows where the action is bigger in television than it's ever been main characters are dying and then Mad Men really isn't offering us this yet it's like somehow as exciting as those shows yeah I know what you mean although exciting might be the wrong word (laughs) it gets me going (laughs) exciting I don't know if I'm like pumping my fist at the end of an episode of Mad Men but 
I am always willing and ready to watch the next episode. For sure. I, I okay. am engaged yeah. with it. I just don't know if I'm like... All right. Maybe not exciting. <laughs> Mentally <laughs> exhilarating. So let's talk a little bit about season four, where we're at to set us up for this particular episode. I watched the first seven episodes of season four in preparation. I, I really just didn't have time to watch any more of the show. Yeah. This season takes place over 1964 into 1965. That's right. An exciting end to season three with the boys getting themselves fired and starting their own company. And now here we are, the new company, trying to get (laughs) some new clients, trying to really establish a name for themselves. And Don, now divorced, it was kind of exciting to watch him just completely unravel. He doesn't have the family structure in his life anymore. That's sort of a big thing overhanging the season. When the season starts, Sterling Cooper Draper Price is up and running. It's a modern push forward. It's noticeably cleaner, more modern looking than the previous office. We're jumping into the culture changes of the 1960s. Don, professionally, is still at about a nine. <laughs> but his personal life is at a, at a two. Oh, yeah. <laughs> For the Howard Stern fans out there. You gained... A lover and you gained a best friend. I gained a couple of lovers, or I gained one lover, yeah. but I gained no friends. I have no, I, there's nobody there to come home to, to call, to tell all the great stuff. And, and like right now, I feel my professional life is like at a nine, and my personal life is at like a two. Because he's recently won a claim for this glow coat ad. He wins a Clio, which is like the advertising awards for the commercial that they did. But he's got this guy named Ted Shaw on his heels, although he hasn't really embraced this idea as thinking of Ted as like a real competitor. That's yet. right. He's not a rival. You have to beat me first to be a rival. Peggy and Don's relationship is fraying at times over this glow coat thing. It sort of comes to a head in this episode. That's right. Because it is a thing that hangs over the season, this Clio award. leading up to the Cleos, this commercial. And yeah, like we kind of find out a little bit about the history of it in this episode. At times in this episode, I'm going to turn to Matt as more of an expert on the show as me, because for some reason, I I never remember any of the plot specifics. There's a lot to it. There's a lot of characters. So they don't show anything about the glow coat in season three. This is all like before the story starts. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it just starts off with this commercial being a... Okay. A hit. That's what I was thinking, but because of them switching the companies and everything, I didn't think that would carry over necessarily from season three, but I do find it odd that all of a sudden the story is just them winning the award. But okay, that makes more sense. Yeah, I think it just starts off with this is an ad that's on TV, and it's kind of like a successful ad. Another thing going on in Sterling Cooper, Draper Price, other than peggy's rise to prominence as a creative force is roger's fading significance he's always butting heads with pete over this he's really only the account man for lucky strike which accounts for a huge part of their business right it's most of their billing if lucky strike was to go away it would be a huge hit to the company oh yeah they probably wouldn't exist a lot of people would be fired but he sort of understands that he's getting older and getting pushed out yeah slowly he can see the writing on the wall even if it's a little bit into the future he has this whole history of his dad started the company with burt cooper he was basically given this one huge account and he's just been able to basically ride as an executive and 
drink heavily and enjoy life like he hasn't had to do any work. In Don's personal life, he is now divorced from Betty, January Jones. Now, most people would, would be killing themselves, I think. Just kill themselves yeah. if they were divorced from January Luckily, no shortage of options for Don Draper. No, we'll get into that. Yeah, it's wild. It's quite a scene. This, this divorce has led to all kinds of problems. Don's completely unraveling. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. People who act and exist like Don Draper and Roger Sterling don't actually look like John Hamm and That's Roger right. Slattery. Yes. They would probably look more like... Me. I don't know. Who's that guy that comes back in as like a freelance guy after he wet his pants? Oh, Bill Murray's brother. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna What's say- his character's name? Eh, Freddie. Freddie Freddy. Robson. Yeah, they'd mostly probably look like that guy. Or, or maybe like Artie Lang. Yeah. Well, eventually you work your way yeah. to that. <laughs> <laughs> or us. That's right. Yeah. Listen, it's not lost on me the importance of having a good structure in your life. <laughs> How poorly things can go. If you lose that, Don, completely out of control. Yeah, luckily for him, he can fall back on the good looks and success thing. But you're walking a thin line there. Yeah, you're reaching the end of your credit limit. This has led also to problems with his daughter, Sally, who has been acting strangely in retrospect. Really through the whole show, but yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, she has a complicated relationship with her mother. It seems like... The Betty-Sally relationship is, like, her biggest problem, but then her relationship with her father is, like, 1B. Because yeah. <laughs> they're yeah. both, like, pretty fucked up. Right, it is rough. You understand why, these kids. It is great later on in the show when Megan Draper just refers to your messed up kids. <laughs> <laughs> Sally cuts her hair unexpectedly, and it's all fucked up, and then... In sort of like a shocking moment on the show, there's like a public masturbation moment. I think yeah. she's only supposed to be like 10 years old or something, which is I, just insane, insane that it was on TV. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. <laughs> it was insane that they did the story. I mean, not what you see. It's not like it's that. Oh, well. I know. But it, right. Yes. <laughs> but basically all of this amounts to the crumbling facade of Americana that Don has built for himself. The perfect wife, the perfect family, the perfect job the perfect house in the suburbs to which he commutes back and forth. This is all sort of now crumbling into a haze of prostitutes and booze and <laughs> oh yeah, blackouts. and. I feel like if January Jones was divorcing me, I think I would have thrown myself off the George Washington Bridge. <laughs> this season, as does most seasons of the show, also contains a lot of revelations about the past and sort of letting the viewer into Don's past. Anna Draper, a person that factors heavily into Don's life and backstory, is a part of not only this episode, The Suitcase, but she appears earlier in the season as well. And this all plays into what overhangs season four in general, which is Don's identity crisis. That's right. His existential despair, trying to to figure out who he is in this world. It seems like identity is a huge problem in his life and always has been. Absolutely. And this is what has led to the alcoholism and the loose women and prostitutes and the... The late nights. Just inability to be normal. The showing up at 11 o'clock to work and then like yelling at the people, (laughs) like almost blaming them. (laughs) (laughs) But I know you wanted to talk about the babes of season four well so much to talk about 
And that's the thing. You can be as fucked up as you like, but it mu- okay. still must be nice to look like John Hamm because you're just falling ass backwards into eager women, enthusiastically just eager women. A line of the most beautiful women that you've ever seen. I, I don't know how to say her last name. Faye Carabuno. Carabuono. Yeah. I've got it bad for her. I really do. But I think, well, I think most people would know who she is now because she's Stranger Things, right? In Stranger Things. She's, or uh, Artie Lang's Beer League. That's true, yeah. <laughs> I can't remember the kids' names. She's like the one kids. the other mom besides Winona Ryder. The one yeah, that almost Mike's cheats mom, on her husband. Or Will. No, Mike. Yeah, Mike's mom. But I think she looks absolutely stunning <laughs> in this season of this show. As many people know, Don goes on to marry Megan, who becomes Megan Jessica Draper. Perry. That's yeah. right, from Hot Tub Time Machine. <laughs> Famously of Hot Tub Time Machine. And I remember being furious because I'm like, this is unbelievable. Faye, there's no way. I, I would 100% have been going after Faye. Well, Faye is a powerful, Successful, self-established independent woman. woman. And Megan is a secretary. That's right. But I think Megan is pretty smoking hot, too. She is, she is. But yeah, I just, I've got it bad for uh, Faye. He also goes on a date with Anna Camp this season. That's a couple true. dates. Yep. And of course, we would be remiss if we didn't mention Roger's second wife. Jane. Jane. Probably the only reason I kept watching this dumbass show. Someone who we just yeah <laughs> seem to bring up you know, every so often. Was, I, I can't think of Mad Men and you without thinking of Jane. Because I do feel like every time we bring up Mad Men, you're yeah. quick to... I think I was just... You need to bring the conversation to Jane. I was blown away. Yeah. And whenever we've talked about doing an episode of Mad Men for the show, you're always kind of like, can you try to pick one with Jane? And of in? course she's not in this episode. <laughs> yeah, Although she time. is in season four, I think she's mostly introduced to us in season three, if I remember correctly. That seems right, yeah. She might even be gone by season five. I don't even know how that all played out. She's not they, in a ton they of They get episodes. divorced, yeah. Jane is played by Peyton List, of which uh, there are two actresses named Peyton List, which is completely insane. Check IMDb. She's the older of the two. Fact check. And she's a very attractive woman, but there's just something about her on Mad Men that really gets it going for me. Yeah. Just the whole look. I don't know what else to say about it. And of course, Joan in The Office. And Alison Brie, too. Alison Brie I mean, just, pops up in this episode. I think she looks great it's, on this show every time she's on it. Yeah, Trudy completely insane you're it's witty. like they're living in another world <laughs> that part when she runs into begging in the bathroom is like you're witty i've always thought that but it turns out it's true <laughs> what a weird thing to say to someone yeah she's got a couple of like backhanded compliments and then just a dagger right at the end <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right so let's get into the episode we'll check in with matt from time to time but it'll mostly be me talking that's right yeah <laughs> As usual. No, I think what I mean Remember, is... Remember, Wally, less is more. Matt will be turned to for some answers to sort of provide some context, if he can. I'll do my best, yeah. I don't remember a lot of Mad Men for whatever reason. I don't want people to mistake that to mean that I don't like the show, because I do. I consider it like a top three or four, probably all time for me, up there with The Sopranos, Twin Peaks, The Wire, stuff like that. Seinfeld. Seinfeld, too, but I don't really... I never yeah. consider that the same category I know, for some I know. reason. But anyway, yeah, it's one of my favorite shows. It's just... There's something... There's like a mental block with me about the plot of well, this. I never remember the and details. And you know, I've re-watched this certainly more recently than you. And still, there's things that it's just like so much happens. Yeah. It's hard to remember. I think I can remember everything that happened. It's just sometimes the order. 
Yeah. Well, I just purchased the entire season on Vudu streaming, so Sweet. I'll have it at my disposal. All right. For any time I want to revisit. Mad Men Season 4, Episode 7, The Suitcase, is the exact halfway point of the series. It is the 46th episode out of a total of 92. Don't know if they knew that at the time. Probably not. But it's interesting that this halfway point is considered such a high point, if not the high point of the entire show. Now, when I did rewatch it a couple of times for this episode, I don't necessarily think that it would be my favorite episode. But I'm not saying that to shit on it. I'm just saying, like, I do like when there's more characters involved. This is so heavily Peggy and Don. I know why it's considered great, and I I see the greatness, but I'm just saying I like when there's, like, a lot of interwoven things. I, I do agree with that. It's just there's so much to talk about with this episode. But, yeah, for this show, there's so many enjoyable characters, and you get a lot of enjoyment out of seeing them interact with each other. So this episode is lacking that, certainly. This episode takes place in history on May 25th, 1965, which I was surprised to learn was actually a Tuesday based on the events that happened in it. It does seem weird that a big, I guess, primetime sporting event, even though it's, you know they're listening to it on the radio at a, at a bar. Yeah, I guess you had to go to like movie theaters to actually be able to see it. That's right. Because they had like closed-circuit TV. But yeah, Which I guess is like a precursor to pay-per-view. It just does seem strange that they would do it on a Tuesday. So the big event in history that looms large over this particular episode is the rematch between Cassius Clay and Sonny Liston. I don't know when he officially became Muhammad Ali. Don references the name sort of like derisively. So I think it was known, but I think the fight was still billed as Clay versus Liston. Sure. Which oddly took place in Lewiston, Maine, of all places, a city I had never even heard of. To be before broadcast it on up. a Tuesday night from Maine, it just seems so odd. Yeah, especially since time. the first Clay Liston fight was in Miami and was Which such a big deal. Seems yeah, more believable. Who knows? Yeah, it's just weird. Those were the territory days. It was probably like politics. It's like, well, it's Maine's turn. <laughs> I don't know. What? <laughs> Friggin' Clay was from Maine, and he had to go over in his hometown. Well, that is the thing that is addressed in the episode. That a lot of people do think that the fight was fixed, or it did at the time. I, I oh yeah, that's true. Like three hours of analysis, they mentioned that. Yeah. Which I couldn't figure this out, but I mean, it's like Clay knocks him out, but there was apparently some debate over like whether or not he won. I, I don't know what the debatable piece was, and I'm sure somebody could explain it to me, but. I don't know how you could have a knockout, and it's questioned. Well, this isn't a boxing podcast, so we're going to... Yeah, let's move move on on with our lives. Most of the office is preoccupied with the fight, but Don, John Hamm, wants Peggy, Elizabeth Moss, to stay behind and work on ideas for a campaign for Samsonite suitcases. There's a big deadline approaching. What Don doesn't know is that it's also Peggy's birthday, and... They run through sort of a mock-up commercial involving Joe Namath, which I thought was weird that their idea was to use Joe Namath, who had not played a pro game yet, which they do point out. Don points that out. Which Well, I was trying to figure out, was there like college football stars? Could they be like celebrity level at this time? I don't know. I mean, I think people who knew about football would know, but I don't know. I'm not really sure how that all worked at that point. I know. It does seem weird. 
it would just be like a couple more years and he would be starring in that's right cc rider with ann margaret (laughs) (laughs) as a preview before that sharon tate movie once upon a time in hollywood peggy goes to her office and finds a gift from none other than duck phillips oh no makes me cringe every time he's on screen this turns into a recruitment attempt at some sort of a new agency that he wants to form focused on women's products with Peggy as the creative director. When Peggy calls him on the phone, we have to look at his grotesque feet. That's right. It gets real sad, though. This no phone character call. makes me shudder more than Duck Phillips. We'll run through what he says over the phone a little bit. He actually starts off with a fairly confident pitch. And, it, and then it yeah. just only goes downhill. Basically being like, <laughs> we're going to start our own firm. We'll probably need a third person to be the partner. But then it like comes into this whole thing of, well, you know, I, I need a line of credit. Like, this is just going nowhere. And then Peggy's like, are you still a gray? Well, trust me, it was mutual. <laughs> <laughs> Our parting was mutual, yeah, trust me. Yeah. And she's like, are you trying to say you're out of work? <laughs> Yikes. And it it turns real fast. And Doc, I suspect you've been drinking. <laughs> As he's like, no, I haven't. And, and then it cuts him putting down a, the drink. A man who was well known to not be able to handle his alcohol. Yeah, there was actually a brief glimpse of him a couple episodes earlier at the Cleos. That's right. Where being he was removed. drunk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Besides the grotesque feet, there's also him doing the train noise where he's like, the train's Oof. leaving the station. He's like, woo, woo. Yeah, that is horrific. Then it gets dark. Peg, I'm falling apart. (laughs) So this is the first time we're going to bring you in as the expert. Why don't you sort of give us a little bit of the context with Duck and Peggy's relationship only? We'll get to like Duck's relationship with with the company later. Duck had a a run of being sober. (laughs) They did have a little get together that I I guess, you know, Peggy would go on to regret. At one point he was trying to recruit her and Pete. She went along with things a little bit more than Pete did. Yeah, I do remember this. But yeah, they had a brief romance, and he was like the best duck we've ever seen during that time. He seemed like he kind of had it together. He wasn't drinking, but things went off course, I would say. There's a call for Dawn from California. It's someone named Stephanie, and she says that it's urgent, so let's turn to Matt again. Well, this hasn't been the first call either, which is something that I think is looming over the episode. Like, he's putting this off yes he knows that there's bad news on the other line and that is like the tension that keeps building and i think it's maybe what caused him to not show up to work until whatever 11 o'clock it's what's causing him to start drinking as soon as he gets to work i mean we know he's an alcoholic but there's definitely like he's on edge more than usual he drinks and can usually contain himself pretty well he drinks wildly out of control in this episode to the point that he's vomiting uncontrollably. Well, I wanted you to give some context on who Stephanie is yeah, that's and right. what the bad news is and then who Anna Draper is as succinctly as possible. Yeah, well, Anna Draper is the wife of the... The real Don Draper. Right, the person that Dick Whitman is pretending to be. Yes. Or, or I guess the name that he's taken. Which is something that's slowly revealed to the audience over the first couple of seasons. And I think Stephanie is her niece... Yes. It's not her daughter. No. She's the daughter of that other woman. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Um, and who Don makes like sort of an embarrassing pass at. And then that's when Stephanie actually first revealed that Anna had 
terminal cancer. That's right, yes. And their original plan was to not even tell Anna that that's what was wrong with her. So yeah, at that like point, a, the farewell situation. Yeah, even though she's like a 40-year-old woman. <laughs> yeah. But she, he has this very close relationship with her. She basically... Anna. Discover, yeah, Anna. She discovered that he was impersonating right. her husband. Who and, died in the war. And she could have exposed him, but she took him in. They ended up having like this very close bond. Yeah. She divorced him on paper so that he could marry Betty. And just wanted him to have like a happy life. Yes. So she is one of the only people that knows who he is, too. Yes. Because even Betty never knew who he was. Right. And so, yeah, his connection to her seems strange, but they do a pretty good job of establishing it over time. And then earlier in season four, Don goes out to California. That's when this whole thing is revealed to him and that's the call that he's avoiding returning because he knows what the news is because essentially every episode of Mad Men accounts for like that month even if it doesn't take place over an entire month oh right right so like episode eight is probably going to be approximately june of 1965 and then episode nine would be approximately july sometimes it doesn't quite work out that way but that's like the average sure yeah so he had been out in california a few months earlier things have obviously taken a turn for the worse with anna and now he doesn't want to deal with it the crew which consists of what's his name stan who they just hired yes and then a couple of other people including well danny they just hired the, the short yeah dude. i was getting to him but yeah, stan yeah. is like a guy that they just brought in well right. he's like still such like a dick to peggy that's right yeah i think he had been on there before right but yeah he hadn't been like a permanent fixture on the show right for whatever reason he becomes don's kind of go-to guy for like the art stuff he likes him for yeah that stuff which is always kind of woven in there well it's a little bit of a crew that they have and they're all working on this samsonite thing and then they're talking about being underwater and danny's talking about james bond meeting a girl underwater and i just wanted to point out that it's a goof because he's referring to thunderball the fourth james bond movie which didn't come out until december 1965 oh wow okay (laughs) It's funny with Danny. I mean, the whole reason that he works there is because... He's related to Jane. Imagine being related to Jane. Yeah, but Don also didn't want to hire him. And then Don stole stole an idea. (laughs) Yeah. When he was drunk after the Cleos. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to go like down too many rabbit holes. Sure, sure. It's true. There's (laughs) a lot of different things. So much context. I just the Danny character is kind of funny. Peggy's trying to get out of there. She has plans for her birthday. She runs into Pete's wife, Trudy, played by Allison Brie, in the bathroom. Almost like a neon demon scene in this bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like Megan, then Megan leaves, then in comes pregnant Trudy. I know, it's just like quiet. You just hear heels clicking across the bathroom floor. <laughs> Trudy's sort of never really sure how to interact i guess with her and it's sort of a weird uncomfortable thing with us the viewer knowing the backstory between pete and peggy and the baby and everything that's right peggy does always take the high road yeah well she does and i'll give her credit for it but i mean yeah i think taking the low road would be just as bad for her that's true absolutely yeah (laughs) the parting shot here is trudy says to peggy you know 26 is still very young and you could say this several times throughout any episode of Mad Men, but 
this is one of those lines that sort of encapsulates the whole idea of the show. That's right. Because what Trudy is doing with her life was what was expected of most women in 1965. She is married. She doesn't work. She gets pregnant. End of story. She's going to be a housewife and a mother who raises her, her kids. And Peggy's journey is such a big part of Mad Men because she symbolizes the changing of the times for women it's a struggle, and that's what's oh, great yeah. about Mad Men. It's not like some endless victory parade for being this strong woman. It's like, no, most of the time it sucks. It's a for struggle. Peggy. It's a struggle. <laughs> and even by the end of the show, it doesn't end up as grandiose as probably she would have liked it to. And I think that's just part of it. Well, it was this the end of the show was what, 69? I yeah, mean, I mean, only it's a not few the end years of her away. Life. Yeah. She still could have had the Don Draper future for potentially. Sure. Pete's panicking when he sees the two of them walking out of the bathroom together. He's got the cat who ate the canary look on his oh, face. Yeah, he never great. knows what, what is going on. What were they talking on. about? <laughs> so, yeah, do you want to give a little context here about when Pete first learned about the love child? Yeah. So, of course, it happens at the end of season one. They reveal a little bit more about it during season two. But I think it's during the finale of season two. There's this weird episode... Or something's going on. <laughs> I can't remember what it is. But they have a conversation, her and Pete. And basically, I think he's like actually saying, let's try to make this happen or something. Because they haven't really, you know, discussed anything since they banged <laughs> season yeah. one. And she was like, no, that's not really what I'm interested in. Like, I could have had you. I could have trapped you. I was pregnant. I assume she tells him she gave the kid away. But yeah, she does. Actual Mad Men experts That's listening right. to this yeah. episode just <laughs> pulling their hair out. So many things happen, okay? Come on. <laughs> All right. We'll try to stick more with just this episode. Don is unaware that Peggy has plans for a romantic birthday dinner with her boyfriend, Mark, at the ritzy restaurant, the Forum of the Twelve Caesars. How sad for Mark this is. Mark has actually invited Peggy's family and roommate along as a surprise. And eventually, when Peggy finally does tell this to Don, he says she can go rather than stay with him to work on the Samsonite thing. But as we're going to find out, she just can't pull herself away. That's right. From this. And she doesn't really want to go. And I mean, it is like this like this moment of realization too, where she's like, this is this really sweet, nice gesture. And I seem like a bitch that I don't want to go. But this dude obviously doesn't really know me because like the last thing I want to do on my birthday is hang out with my mom. Yeah. She's actually about to leave the office. She pushes the down button on the elevator. This will not be the first time. That's this right. happens. Multiple opportunities to leave. But then she changes her mind. She decides to stay at the office to work with Don. She's annoyed that Mark invited people who make her crazy. This causes a fight over the phone between her and Mark. And then Mark breaks up with her over the phone as well. And then this all spirals into an argument with Don over Peggy's contribution to the award-winning Gloco campaign. Yeah. And Dawn's lack of appreciation for her work. An elevated scene. This is like super strong acting here. This is probably one of the more memorable scenes, not only from this episode, but from the show. Absolutely. Dawn screaming, that's what the money's for, which is yes. hilarious. <laughs> no, absolutely. But there is a lot of truth to it, too. There's a lot of truth to both sides. For sure. She obviously is so desperate for the attention and the credit and the name Yeah, your name being associated with it. Yeah, and it's frustrating because this is what's great. 
I know, like, I've already used that phrase, but this is what's great about Mad Men. It's like, it's such a gray area with everything. Simultaneously, Don is progressive because he saw that Peggy had talent and looked past the fact that she was a woman in a traditionally male-dominated career field and was like, we're getting her into creative, we're bringing her up. He sees that she's probably going to have a bright future because even if Don is like mostly an old-fashioned guy who would certainly qualify as very conservative in a lot of ways, he knows what the future is, which is going to be a lot different from the present and the past, and he can probably see that Peggy is going to be somebody like him in yeah. the future. And, and, he and so he gets credit there. for that. Right. But at the same time, he's also very stubborn, old-fashioned in a lot of ways, yeah. and closed off emotionally, and so he doesn't give her enough credit or recognition when it comes to certain things, I think. Absolutely. And, and, and so it bothers her, who's in this desperate search for a father figure at all times. Yeah, well, and I do think that there's a lot of truth, though, to the fact that it's like, he's like, you're two years into your career. You're going to have your opportunities. Yes. I, at one point, you know, whether this is true or not, I, at one point, was the person giving lines to somebody else who was getting the credit for it. Like, everyone starts somewhere and works their way up. Yeah, basically, she wants to push forward faster because she's already had to deal with so much bullshit because she's a woman. She gets knocked up, and instead of letting that ruin her pursuit of this sort of career... She has to make these hard decisions. She has to deal with it. And it all has to be on her. That's right. Where the men sit around and drink all the time and don't really have to make any tough decisions like that. And so it's frustrating. And that's what I mean when he's still like, he's old fashioned. And so he's like, you have to wait your turn. You have to do this. You have to do that. And he's not seeing it from the perspective of, I've already had to deal with so much that you don't understand fuck whatever line there is for this credit. I need to be higher up faster. I need to do this, that. Because she's got all these pressing dreams, you know, like I have to do this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's this give and take. It's this push and pull. And they both make good points. They're both right. They're both wrong. And it's an interesting like perspective, too. Which one is more right or is the answer kind of in the middle? Just in terms of did she really give the idea for this? How much did she really give the idea for this? Is it that she said something that became the idea? Or like is was it mostly the idea? Yeah, and they kind of have differing accounts of what that was. Which I think is how it is, usually. Yeah, he admits that he picked one of her things and then turned it into this commercial. He doesn't really seem to hide that from her at this point. But there was a long stretch where he was getting all the credit and getting the award and everything, where... If he would have probably allowed her to go to the Cleos or mentioned her or something that some of this tension could have been avoided. And I do think that this factors in later when she leaves. It's true, for sure. He is not gracious with much. I mean, there's not a lot of like, Peggy is really lifting us up here. And he doesn't like when women push back. For sure. He cheated on Betty relentlessly. She cheated on him once, and he flipped out <laughs> to an unnecessary degree. So For it's sure. like when women like give any pushback to him, he doesn't like it. And so it's the gray area because he's the one progressive enough to see Peggy's talent and want to do something with it, but he, at the same time, 
is sort of stuck into a caveman mindset in a lot of ways. And whether people would take this poorly or not, it is portrayed that he basically saved her after this pregnancy thing. She was like losing it and he like went and visited her and he's like, You gotta get out of here. Get he it was together. the only person that came to visit her yeah. and like pull her back into life and get it going again. Yeah, their bond and their relationship is one of the more interesting things of the show as which, far as an ongoing story. Which gets further cemented through the events of this episode. For sure. This whole argument ends with Peggy crying in the ladies' room, Don feeling bad, probably. He always seems to like push it until the point where then he feels guilty. He was guilty when he finds out it's her birthday, then he's like, well, you can leave then. <laughs> and then she stays, which in some ways he probably wants her to stay, but then also annoys her. Which I totally relate to, like, both sides of it. (laughs) That's, like, how you are with me. Like, wanting something to happen. I do think that I am the Don Draper of this podcast, and you're kind of, like, the Peggy. Yeah, although I don't really have that much ambition. I have a lot less ambition. Well, I do feel like sometimes screaming at you, what do you think, elves do this? That's right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You seem to just think these episodes are magically going to appear. I'm more like the Danny, just throwing out, like, horrible lines and bad (laughs) ideas and, like... You drunkenly picked up on one of them and used it for the podcast, and now you're stuck with me? (laughs) All right. I'm not Don, and you're not Peggy, but you're probably Danny, and I'm probably Bert. (laughs) (laughs) No balls. Balls removed. (laughs) We'll get to that in a second, because it seems like they're at a rocky point here. Peggy could just leave, but she doesn't leave, and they start the reconciliation a little bit later that night, now that it's dark outside. When Don discovers a tape of Roger's memoirs. So Roger is out with that Freddie like guy Freddy and, and somebody a else and couple of clients. Not drinking, so he's like sneaking to a bar. Roger's distracted. Not a lot of Rogers these days out there. How many people do you know named Roger? That's true. It's a fading name. Roger's memoirs on tape are hilarious. The way that Don reacts to them is I, hilarious. I, I know. I actually find this to be maybe the most personable Don is through the whole series Yeah, in this scene where he's like laughing about Roger's <laughs> recorded book. And yeah. when he lists, oh, come on. <laughs> Ida is a hellcat. Cooper has no balls. Roger's writing a book. <laughs> Peggy, get in here. No. Come on. You have to come in here right now. What do you want? (laughs) You have to hear this. Sit down. Come on, sit. So this is tape number four of Sterling's Gold by Roger Sterling.
The poor guy had been cut down in the height of his sexual prime by an unnecessary orchiectomy. Lyle Evans, M.D. I think he had him killed. Anyway, sometime in the summer of 48. No, 1932. No, 1939. Why are you laughing? It's like reading someone's diary. Come on, Ida was a Hellcat? Cooper lost his balls? Roger's writing a book? <laughs> they set up this joke about the doctor who removed Bert's balls in an unnecessary operation. Oh, yeah. In a previous episode when Roger was pissed about the potential of doing business with the Japanese company Honda. That's right, yep. And he throws out that doctor's name. And so everyone watching at home thought that this was a real person or this is a person in history. And there was like a spike in Google searches for this doctor's <laughs> yeah, yeah. name. Turns out to be a fictional doctor that gets revealed a couple episodes later. And then Roger just so casually being like, I think he had him killed <laughs> in the... <laughs> yeah. The best part, though, is when he's like doing that thing at the end where he's like, it was the summer of 1942. Or, no, 1931. No, 1939. And then and Don is just, like, reacting to it like, what? Yeah, I know. Like, those years aren't even close together. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, it turns out Bert just didn't like me because of my joie de vie, my prowess with the ladies. See tape three. <laughs> I know, it is hilarious. And I, I, I'm serious, though. Like, it is, like, the most personal Don feels, like, the whole show. And it's, like, kind of coming on the heels of, just having like a freak out on Peggy. It speaks to the dynamic a little bit. There's almost like a family tie there. We just had a freak out. Now we can just kind of laugh. laugh and kick back. Don decides to take Peggy to dinner since she didn't get to go to her birthday dinner. They go to this shitty diner and both of them start opening up and that's right, sharing personal information, which is definitely a rarity for Don, because the first episode of season four is when he's being interviewed by that magazine. That's right. And he just doesn't say anything. Yeah, yeah. Reveals nothing. And now here he is telling Peggy that he grew up on a farm. Talks about his parents' deaths. Yes, the war. That's right. My father died right in front of me. Heart attack. I was 12. Sorry to hear that. It's pretty violent. The TV was on. That's why I hate sports. Nobody was around. Saturday afternoon, my mother was shopping. I saw my father die, too. He was kicked by a horse. <laughs> You're kidding. What about your mother? I never knew her. Why is there a dog in the Parthenon? Is a roach. Let's go someplace darker. The show changes over time because it does start off so much about him keeping his identity a secret and he has like these whole rules and he's been living this life to like keep this all covered up. And simultaneously, it stops mattering and he stops trying to cover it up slowly over time. You know what I mean? He, he doesn't really stick to his rules after a while and he does just find these cracks where he's like revealing things to people i feel like this is kind of in the heart of that well it'd probably be a lot of work uh, yeah it's got to be a grind you just sort of lose interest in it over time 
Yeah, right. Like, what does it matter? I'm, you know, I'm successful. And I think certainly now that he knows what's happened with Anna, that's a part of it too. Yeah. You know, that's a part of his secret and past that's now just gone. After they go to the diner, they go to a bar because Don just drinks nonstop. Yeah. Peggy says that people make jokes about an alleged relationship between the two and that her mother believes that Don fathered her baby owing to Don's visiting Peggy in the maternity hospital right. shortly after the child was born. Well, this was the first time that they've on screen acknowledged this. Yeah, this is the first time the two of them have talked about the baby after having sworn to never talk about it. Yeah. Don asks, do you know who it was? Peggy replies, of course I do, but she does not reveal that it was Pete, nor does she mention what happened to the baby. During this time period, the boxing match starts on the radio. I like how this is shot because, and maybe I was just reacting to it this way, but it feels like intentionally set up that the camera is, the point of view is from behind the bar. Because it feels like, you know, you're picturing modern day big television screens behind the bar and everything. Right. And like that's how someone would have a shared moment for sports. And then it's like when you see the full view of it, there's just like a radio. (laughs) And everyone's in the bar just listening to the radio, like cheering against it. (laughs) Yeah, I do like when they're yelling at the radio. Yeah. The fight is over in the first round. It seems like most of these men, these conservative white men of this era were cheering for Liston. I think there's something too, and you were I I feel like you were hitting on it, how Don is and how Peggy is. I think there's a reason why Don is rooting for Liston. There is something Clay is like the young up and comer, like kind of changing things. Right, yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean let's be real. They were both African Americans. It's not like there's a racial component as far as the sure. white fans cheering for the white boxer or anything. But but it's like this stubbornness and like needing to earn it thing. He's rooting yeah. for the established guy. Yeah, and Muhammad Ali, of course, was brash, braggadocious, was also changing his name I'm the best. to a Muslim Not if name. you have to say it. <laughs> yeah, maybe Ali reminded him of Ted. Yeah, that's true. Ted too. just making that's announcements right. yeah. in the press. Or the press quote, the people who are <laughs> the, reading yeah, the ad trades. In, yeah, really. <laughs> Peggy and Don go back to the office. Don is stumbling drunk by this point. Yeah, and just going to out be of sick. control. Out of control, yeah. Throws up violently. When Peggy helps Don to the restroom so he can throw up, she pauses for a moment trying to decide if it's worse for her to go into the men's room or to take Don into the ladies' room. This gag almost didn't make it into the show. In order for it to work... Both restroom doors had to be visible in a single shot. This meant a new set would have to be constructed, and the producers were hesitant to spend the money for a single scene. Just for scene. this, yeah. Ultimately, it was determined to be worth it. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, because it is funny where she yeah. just doesn't know what to do. It's like, which bathroom do I take him yeah, into? Yeah, right. God, can you imagine like the horror of that men's bathroom? Well, the janitor had just been in there. Sure, which is good. <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing. I don't think women like fully appreciate how horrifying it can be sometimes. Oh, yeah, I know. Just the animals that use those public restrooms. And There were bathrooms at that company we used to work for that's right, that yeah. we were actually talking about before we started recording for different reasons. And if you went into those bathrooms after like noon, 
Forget it. It was a zoo. Yeah. It was horrible. You had to like hold your breath <laughs> Human the entire beings time. were in here. <laughs> and that's what Peggy had to deal with. That's right. Yeah. There. I don't know. I think people were a little bit more decent about that kind of stuff in I the 60s. I think so. A little bit more proper. If they knew there was going to be an incident like that, they were just going home for the day. <laughs> How is it that every time you go to the bathroom, it's an emergency? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't you think that's it a problem? See, right. It's like you need to see a doctor at that point. I'm sure people are thrilled that this is where this is going. <laughs> but I was just thinking about that when you brought that up about her being horrified that oh, day yeah. in there. And it's like, there, yeah, there have been some times. Oof. I'm horrified sometimes. Yeah. To Peggy's mortification, Duck has shown up at the office looking for her. This and he's me drunk thinking, too. too. I, I'm just like, well, first of all, Duck, this is insane. It's the middle of the night. He's, he does explain it, but yeah, it's weird. That he's showing up to take a shit in Roger's office. Well, he thinks it's Don's. Well, I know. Yeah, okay, Don's. Well, okay. he says, I called your apartment and your roommate said you were working. Mm-hmm. I do like when there's that scene at the restaurant with Mark and the family and when Peggy gets on the phone with her mother and she's like, we're all here and the roommate. Yeah. She just calls her the roommate, <laughs> right, which right. I thought was really funny. So but- then Duck... Is looking for her. He ends up going to the office. Oh, look, I know there was like no key cards and stuff in 1965, but just this guy's in the Time Life building can just get into an office in the middle of the night. It's believable. Pre Manson murders, security in these yeah. buildings was not. Well, earlier in the season, there's a part where Don shows up thinking that he's going to be the only one in the office, and then he, he finds the door unlocked, and it turns out Price is there. Oh, yeah. And I think that was alluding to, like, they go out to this diner. They left it unlocked. Oh, that's right, yeah. Because, yeah, it was a time. It was like, who would come in here? Right, it, right. Like, right. wouldn't even yeah, make yeah. sense. It's not like people were leaving money in there. No. There's no. nothing really. Yeah, I know. But no one had computers. It's a pretty big <laughs> building in Manhattan. It just seems crazy. Yeah, well, I guess it'd probably be I believe be a that doorman. it was a thing. I'm just, like, for us, it just seems nuts. Yeah, I'm sure there was a doorman, but... If you're wearing a suit, yeah. like Duck is, he's probably not going to stop him. Right. You know, it's a Tuesday. Yeah, right. <laughs> but yeah, this is just total humiliation for Peggy because what is Duck doing here? Well, I, he completely embarrasses her by revealing the fact that they slept together, which she immediately is mortified by. She does not want Don to know this. Rewind. <laughs> okay. First, he tries to shit in Don's office only to discover it's actually Roger's office. So this is hilarious because he's just got one in the chamber ready to go, I guess. Yeah, really. He's taking his pants off. And she's there, and he's not like, oh, God, let me stop doing this. He's like, hold on. (laughs) Yeah, he makes a couple of pretty bold moves and then still expects to leave with her, including calling her a whore at one point. And then five seconds later, he's like, come on, Peggy, we're leaving. (laughs) Are are you familiar with that bold move? No. (laughs) All right, so we're going to turn to Matt once again, even though it hasn't been going great. No, no. Give us a little bit of perspective on what happened with Duck and Don, and when well, Duck used to work at the same company, Don and just everything like, that went down. Always hated Duck. He he never really liked Duck, and Duck was always trying to put Don in his place, I guess, because Don knew that he was responsible for a lot of the success at Sterling Cooper, and he really didn't value these account men too much. But eventually, Duck orchestrates this deal for this other company to buy Sterling Cooper, and it was all under this, you know. Duck is going to get a prominent position as part of this. Yeah. But Don is like, well, that all sounds great, but I won't be a part of it. So he had this card in his back pocket, which was 
he didn't have a contract. So they didn't want to buy the company anymore if they weren't going to get Don. So Don basically was like, well, if you get rid of Duck, (laughs) then, then we can go along with this. Yeah. So that sent Duck spiraling out of control he left that and then but then he did have this brief moment of operating i think it was as a headhunter he is a headhunter at least later and and that's when he sleeps with peggy and everything but duck and don kind of have just this long history of not liking each other and i think peggy knows that right she definitely doesn't want don to know that she slept with duck that's apparent peggy tries to lead duck out but don sees him and is shocked duck tells him that he and Peggy were in love, but ultimately she is, quote, just another whore. And as I said, within seconds, he's just like, come on, Peggy, let's go, as if she's just going to go with him. (laughs) It's actually really weird how he, like, well, I guess it's not weird because it's just how alcoholics behave, but he sort of just weaves back and forth in terms of, like, how he treats her. Like, it it was kind of like that on the phone earlier where he got, like, mad. That's right. It's like, oh, I spent money on it. It's a lot of mood swings. And he's like, she's just another whore because he thinks that yeah. her and Don are sleeping together, I guess, Duck, or something. Uh, wasted is kind of a lot like me, not wasted. <laughs> that amount of mood swings. Don is just a disgusting mess at this point, too. It should be messages. He's still drunk, obviously. He just threw up violently. He has, like, puke on, like, his shirt yeah. or, like, his jacket and is incoherent. But he is, I guess he's react. He hates Duck anyway, but he's reacting to the fact that he called... Yeah, I think Matthew Weiner was talking about this, and he gave a lot of the same reasons you just did as to why Don doesn't like Duck. He just thinks that Duck doesn't understand creative people. There's just a constant tension there. And then in this moment, it's sort of like he's seeing Peggy as a daughter figure. So when he says that, he takes this drunken swing at Duck. Yeah, which, by the way, Don has some dark qualities. You're certainly not always rooting for him throughout the show. But when it's a one-on-one match between him and Duck Phillips, you just want Don to beat the shit out of him. <laughs> and Don fucking fails miserably. Yeah. It is sad. He misses Duck by about six feet yeah. with that punch. <laughs> and then Duck easily overpowers him. And then That's it's right. pretty much over. But it it sort of just fizzles out because Peggy eventually gets rid of Duck pretty easily and off camera. And yeah. then she's embarrassed in front of Don because of the affair revelation Don's obviously embarrassed because of the sad fight that just happened. <laughs> really? Peggy says it was a confusing time, but Don doesn't really seem all that interested in hearing about it. He's just like, you don't have to say this. I don't care. Yeah. He just wants another drink, and she asks, how long are you intending to go on like this? And he tells her that he's avoiding this phone call that he knows is going to be bad news, and That's she right. just sort of accepts it. And then Don falls asleep with his head on Peggy's lap. And then in sort of a bizarre moment that would i guess lead to this happening several more times throughout the show's run because i think this is the first time it happens where don sees a ghost that's right (laughs) or something that's not there in the middle of the night don awakens to see a vision of anna with a suitcase now in the episode where she actually appears as a real person she was last holding a suitcase which is okay partially where this is all led with the samsonite campaign yeah yeah and everything. She walks into the office, smiles, and turns to go. So when I rewatched this, I was confused the whole time because I was thinking that the initial call that his secretary Blankenship tells him about from Stephanie was the call that she had died. Right. But it turns out that she 
was about to die. Yeah, yeah. And Don was avoiding it, probably knowing that he might have to get on the phone with her and not being able to do it. That's right. So he missed his chance. Yeah, and I take this to be a symbolic thing of Anna telling him that it's okay, that she's just checking on him on her way out, something like that. There are countless stories of people saying that they experience some sort of paranormal visit from someone who they don't know is dying or they don't know died, and then in the morning they find out, you know, that kind of stuff. Who knows? It never happened to me, so I can't really say that that's something that actually happens, but it's not, like, made up for this show. I mean, it's clearly referenced by, and Matthew Weiner mentioned that in talking about this episode. It's a common thing. So Don experiences this now. I think it happens two more times maybe throughout the show's run where something similar happens. That seems right. I don't know if it's always people who are about to die or whatever, but he experiences like two other ghostly appearances from people. I think it happens with Bert yeah, yeah. later is one of them. For sure. It does happen. So yeah, Bert. this is like a touching little moment. I think Anna, just the few times that you get to see her on the show, just an angelic very presence. Sweet. Yeah. yeah. And you're almost like... Why wouldn't he just try to be with her? I know. It's like you can tell that it's the only time that he feels unconditionally loved. Yeah, and he can just be calm and normal and not this version of himself that he thinks that he wants to be. She calls him Dick, even. (laughs) (laughs) Which, by the way, Dick Whitman is such a shitty name. (laughs) In the morning, Don calls Stephanie finally and confirms the bad news. Real quick, the idea of him sleeping on his couch. I just wanted to comment on how great it would be. This fucking, these couches and these offices and these guys just sleep. Like, not overnight, that's a bad one, but like, like the amount of naps that go yeah. on in these offices. Just, what a life. Well, it's an interesting job to have. It's a fun job in a lot of ways, because even Don says to Peggy when she's like, well, we worked on this, we spent time on this, and he's like, I don't care if you work for 10 seconds if it's a good idea. Yeah, right, yeah. The amount of time you work doesn't matter. Exactly. And I mean, that's the thing. He's working all the time. Yeah. Even when you're not... Right. But I mean, even when you're not in the office 9 to 5, it's like they're always working on these campaigns, trying to find the idea. You might come up with the idea on Sunday night. In some degree, you're always on the clock. So after Don gets this bad news that Anna has died, he breaks down sobbing. In front of Peggy, who is now awake, Peggy tries to comfort him. I was thinking, like, Peggy, you could relax with the questioning a little bit. I really? thought she was like, yeah, well, that's a bit what bad. happened? He's like, someone very close to me died. Who? <laughs> <laughs> that's an interrogation. And then he's like, the only person that knew the real me. And she's like, that's not true. <laughs> yeah. It's like, all right, Peggy, calm down. She's just declaring herself that person. I think that's kind of what she's implying. No, I think so. But I think there's truth to it, too, to some degree. For the second time, Peggy presses the elevator down button, prepared to leave Dawn in the office, but then changes her mind. She sleeps for a couple of hours on the couch in her office, and then later is woken up by Stan and everyone when they arrive, just blowing a whistle in her face. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they really are assholes to her. Well, she got her revenge when she was, like, willing to work naked in front of him in that hotel room. Somehow that's revenge. She kept making fun of his boner. Well, that's true, yeah. (laughs) Well, she just, like, called his bluff and made it so that he couldn't really say anything to her. That's right. Later that morning, Don shows Peggy a suitcase campaign based around the 
Ollie Liston knockout photo on the front page of every newspaper. Peggy doesn't love it initially, not fully grasping how iconic this picture is going to end up being. Don's annoyed by this. Again, they <laughs> both have valid points. She's underselling how big of a photo this will be, but then at the same time, she is right. She's like, how is this a commercial? Are they animated? Boy, he, I know he's giving. <laughs> she's giving the same criticism that he gave of one of her ideas. Yeah. Don's annoyed, so then she backs down. It's the same give and take. Don takes her hand in his for a moment, and the two share sort of an intimate couple of seconds before she ultimately leaves to go home and get changed and, I guess, come back for the day. What a shameful just event. (laughs) Getting drunk, sleeping in the office, now you're going home to shower and coming back. Yikes. Yeah. I'd be like, I need to take the day. I need to take the day off. Come on. She's at a reasonable age. Yeah. 26 to still maybe be pulling moves like that. It starts getting real dark for Don. Yeah. Who's got to be, I don't know, 40s? 40 at this yeah, point. 40. Yeah, I'm assuming John Hamm might actually be playing younger, but they want him to look older because of the lifestyle or something. I think that based on the Sally and yeah. the kids' ages, I think he's only probably supposed to be like 40. Okay, yeah. But I don't know for sure. I think they make him look particularly rougher in this episode. Yeah, it's been a rough ride in yeah. season four. For sure. When did the wheels come off is that five or six when it's like well that's six is because five he gets it back together when he's first married with megan for a while oh yeah that's right and then six is and they get engaged in this season yeah it it ends with him like proposing to her and it starts off with them being married (laughs) after this yeah that uh, was like one of those left field moments where you're just like like, what what? is happening holy shit i was stunned (laughs) again i was still like i can't believe it's not faye (laughs) like (laughs) But yeah, like season five basically ends with him. Okay, well, I'm falling off the wagon in terms of like, I haven't cheated on Megan all season. And then it like starts like he sees a girl in a bar at like the end of season five. And then you're just like, okay, it's it's back to his old ways. And yeah, zooby, zooby, zoo. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe it wasn't Bethany. I mean, she blew him in the backseat of a car in 1965. Yeah, that's a pretty ballsy move. No pun intended. I'd be like, that girl is bold. <laughs> Poor Bert. Yeah, no balls. <laughs> Cut down in his sexual prime as Roger Smith. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love if they just released an audiobook of the, what is that called? Sterling's Gold. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. That would we be need great. that as an audiobook. Oh, God. I know. It good. is uh, one of the sad things about this episode is Roger is so goddamn funny throughout the series. Just like so many great lines, <laughs> just such a douche, but like so lovable. At when the same he calls time. Don to to tell about the stories that the AA guys are talking about, and he's like, he's like, I don't know why I can't drink. I didn't wet my pants. And then he goes, this other guy, he killed somebody with a boat. You know how you get over something like that by drinking. <laughs> <laughs> he killed somebody with a boat. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. Okay. So. Spoiler alert, we're recording two episodes tonight. We'll get into the reasons for that in next week's episode, which we'll be recording shortly. It will be an audio commentary, believe it or not. So everyone who feel like the podcast is really ramping up and getting good, hold on. (laughs) Take a minute. First of all, we're doing a Mad Men episode. This is a shit episode of our podcast. And then it gets (laughs) even worse next week. But we might come back after that with something big. Maybe. 
Yeah, I think our reasons for doing an audio commentary and for recording two in one night will become clear, but that's where we're at. I don't know. I'm not forcing Matt to do this. He can okay. give recommendations if he wants. I'm going to take like a few weeks off of recommendations to try to like get something going. I'm fine with it, yeah. I'm sort of tapped out. I'm forcing myself. I know. Well, the thing I was going to recommend is kind of shitty, but I was going to recommend it because I watched it and because I do kind of like talking about that. But I might save it. Maybe I'll just never recommend it. (laughs) All right. So a little bit of a teaser. (laughs) We don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. A teaser for a shitty recommendation. (laughs) Everyone's waiting to find out. Anyway, so I think we'll just wrap it up here so we can record our next episode tonight. It's already way later than what we were planning on. We're about an hour later than the goal. Like set me off schedule for the rest of the weekend. (laughs) There was a tight itinerary that is now being pushed back. Sleep just being eliminated uh, yeah. altogether. So follow the greatest moments in the history of forever on Twitter at greatest pod. You can request a sticker or do a listener request on Twitter and let us know if there's something you'd like us to cover. Ideally, you might throw out a couple of options and we pick the one we want to do out of those because we can't necessarily guarantee everything. Send a list. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Podbean. Please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. If you feel like it, we would appreciate it. And you can follow us each on Letterboxd, Zach1983, and Matt Crosby. I think based on the star ratings that we give certain things on there, that could serve as your recommendations if you're really jonesing for one. Yeah, that's right. You might have to chase some of this stuff down. I think we're both guilty of throwing some fairly obscure things on there. Sometimes, yeah. Yeah, but but we'll come back with like a a four and a half, five star, well-known. Yeah, well, it gets sort of boring for every movie to log to be a rewatch. I'm trying to like watch stuff I haven't seen before. That's what I'm doing too. I'm doing a lot I haven't seen befores. And when I do a couple movies that I really like right in a row, I'm like, all right, I got to watch something bad just to mix it up. I don't want to watch something bad intentionally, but yeah, you start taking risks. Yeah. Gambles. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. That's more fair. <laughs> yeah. I've definitely watched some duds recently, but you know. I'm like, what there's can a good chance that this is a one and a half. <laughs> if it's a two, I'll, I'll be happy with it. All right. So I think that'll do it for this one. Tune in next week for the big audio commentary, which we haven't done in a very long time. Yeah. We'll see. I can't how it even goes. remember the last one we did. I don't know. There's a couple that we did that people were like okay on. So oh, we'll we see. did the Friday the Thirteenth. We did the Never oh, Ending right. Story. Oh yeah. Back okay. to the Future Two. She's the man. Back to the Future Part Two. People Blair were Witch Project. Into. So we've based or Book of Shadows. So we've basically done like five of these already. Yeah. Somehow I've argued against it many times, but uh, I I think I always forget that we did the Never Ending Story as an yeah. audio commentary for some reason. At this point, I've forgotten more episodes than remember. Yeah, well, the whole thing with the audio commentary is I feel like it's just a couple of bros hanging out watching a movie together, except we're going to talk through it. So if you're sitting at home, you got nothing to do, you can pop on the movie we're going to watch, and then, which I do think is streaming, hopefully. So Yeah, I think you'd be the first person that did that. But you could do it. That's right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. Fox rolling in. Off the East River Bank, like a shroud.
street fills the alleys where men sleep. Hides the shepherd from the sheep. Voices leaking from a sad cafe. Smiling faces try to understand. I saw a shadow touch a shadow's hand on Bleaker Street. The poet reads his crooked rhyme. What's Knock that, Warren? You ever see one of these before? What's it used for? What's the matter? Cat got your tongue? It's for jacking off, isn't it? <laughs> 